Thank you for sharing good work that God is doing in you and through you. So, um, boy, in a few weeks, uh, our daughter is going to turn four. Uh, she's the last of, of the group of her friends, I think, to, to turn four. And so she's kind of at this place where she's asking a lot of questions, um, asking the question, why? She's always wanting to know why. Um, we ask her to do something. Mommy asks her to do something. She says, why? Why do I have to do this? And, and sometimes if we're, um, you know, if we're not parenting well, we'll get frustrated and say, well, just do it. And we don't tell her why we're asking her to do, you know, why we're asking her to go put these socks away or why we're asking her to bring Elijah some water. Uh, she doesn't understand uh, why she's doing certain things. She gets really frustrated. Why? Because she's at that place where she's realizing that there's a reason why I do the things that I do. And if she doesn't understand the purpose behind it, the reasoning behind it, then she just feels like I'm just doing something, right? I'm just doing something, whatever it is that you tell me to do, but I don't really understand why that's happening. As we get older, that question begins to become a little bit more significant, doesn't it? We ask ourselves, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Why am I going to church? And why am I going to school? Why am I trying to get married? Why am I trying to get a good job? What's all this about? And the older we get, the more significant these questions become. Why am I even here on planet Earth? What is the reason for my being? What is my, the reason for my existence? Why am I here? If we don't understand that question and answer that question of why, we're constantly going to be going through frustration after frustration, just doing a bunch of things because people are telling us how we're supposed to do, but not really understanding the overarching picture of why we're doing everything that we're doing. And it, it just builds up in the frustration until we just blow up and say, I don't, I don't even know why I'm living. You ever feel like that? You ever wonder, what is the purpose of, of life? Why am I here? Why am I doing all of these things? Why am I even sitting here today? Because my parents told me to, because my husband said to come, because my dad said, why am I, why am I here? Why do we do all of the things that we do? This question of purpose, this question of, of design, this question of why we're doing the things that we're doing are so important. And I want to begin to talk about this because I think the Bible speaks clearly into the situation. And from the beginning of time, God is speaking into the purpose of our existence and leading us to, help, uh, to understand why we're here and what it is that he's trying to accomplish through us. So we began this series. I don't know if you uh, we began this series uh, some time ago, about three weeks ago, um, all about Jesus. And we're trying to track the story of history uh, not only the biblical story of his, but the story of history and see that it runs through the Bible, actually begins with the Bible and continues on through. And as James was saying up here, it will take us through to tell us what the end of the story is going to look like. We're it, just playing a bit piece in the middle of all of this. And yet the story of history, right? You've heard this all the time. History is his story is all about Jesus. And we start in the beginning. We're seeing how everything that happened in history and everything that happened in Scripture is really all about Jesus. We began last week by talking about the fact that God in creation was telling the world that not only is he a lover, but he's also a king. And every king, every king has a kingdom. And throughout the Bible, one of the major themes throughout Scripture is this fact of God building a kingdom. We don't understand this idea of kingdoms too much because we don't live in a kingdom. We live in a republic. We live in a, a democracy, a republic. But we don't understand this idea of kingdom. But I want to try and uh, open this up a little bit by continuing in the creation story to show what this means that God is building a kingdom and what it means for us in terms of understanding our purpose in life. So we're going to um, read a few passages um, in Genesis. But the way I'm going to do this, 
Um, this is how kind of the, the, the folks at InterVarsity say it, um, three points. And, and if you've been tracking with us for long enough, you realize that a lot of times we have three points and you'll kind of we'll follow the same theme, same idea. The first thought is we're going to set up. The second thought is we're going to upset that thought. And then the third thing is we're going to reset all that through the gospel. Okay, We, we do this a lot here. Uh, so the first part, as we set things up, I need to explain a lot. Okay? I need to do a lot of explaining, so I need you to track with me, to follow with me in order to get to the place where we become a, little bit more pra- a lot more practical, I think. But the first thing to set up is, is, is God is building a kingdom. Okay, this is the first thought about the kingdom. God is building a kingdom, and he created us to join in that. Right? He created us to join him. Right? God is building a kingdom. And he invites us to join in that. This is the purpose of creation. We see this from the beginning. We saw that uh, last week. Um, it's uh, the way that the, the Genesis writer of Genesis talks about. It. He says, God said, and it was so. Okay, you remember, this is the language of kingship. God speaks something, and then all that stuff happens. Right? With most of us, we say things, and then it doesn't really happen. Right? We tell um, our children to do this. We tell our friend to do this, and they don't end up doing it. But who but the king himself, every time he speaks... That comes to pass, right? So from the beginning, uh, the writer of Genesis, Moses, is telling us that God is the king. Now, in all of this talk about the king, I want to present to you today why, from Genesis chapter 1, we see this idea that God is building a kingdom, right? It it naturally follows that if you got a king, then you've got a kingdom. But let me break this open a little bit. When he talks about creation in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Before all this, the earth was formless, and empty. Okay, get this. It was formless and empty. What creation is doing is then taking that which is formless and giving it form. Right? It's pretty simple, right? He's taking that which is formless and giving it form. He's taking that which is empty and he's filling it. Okay, so what is, what is God doing in creation? He's forming and then he's filling. Okay, this is what creation is. It's a forming and it's a filling. So Meredith Klein, he's a great Old Testament scholar. He popularized this idea that not only is God creating forms and then filling it in the days of creation, but what he's really doing is he's building kingdoms and then he's putting kings over those kingdoms. Okay, you, you might have heard us talk about this before. But let me, let me try and um, illustrate this um, and help us to understand this. In days one through three, okay, days one through three, God is building the kingdoms. And then days four through six, he's building the kings over those kingdoms. Okay, so day one, right? What does God do in day one? He says, there will be day and night. Let there be light. There was day and there was night. Okay, this is day one, day and night. The second day he separates, right, this. Right? Sky and sea, sky and sea in day two. And then day three, he separates sea and land. Okay? So here you've got these kingdoms, these forms that God is creating. Okay? Day and night, uh, sky and sea, sea and land. Day four begins to correspond with day one. Then if you've got day and night as the first kingdom in day one, day four corresponds to that saying, the king over the day and night is the sun and the moon and the stars. So day four connects with day one, the king over the kingdom. Day two, God does this thing, sky and sea. Over sky and sea, over the sky, he puts the birds to be the kings over that kingdom. And he puts fish as the kings over the sea. And then in day three, right, he separates the sea and land and puts animals as kind of the ones to roam over. And as the pinnacle of creation, as the king over all of these things on day six, it says in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule. Okay, this language of ruling, kingship, and let them rule 
over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over all of this stuff. So God created man in his own image. So you see what God is doing in, in, in days one through three, he's building the kingdoms. And then in days four through six, he's filling the kingdoms with kings over it. And then in day seven, it says on the seventh day, God rested. Why? Because all of those ancient cultures, when a king would be inaugurated, six days would be a celebration. And then the seventh day, the king would sit on his throne and rest, and everybody knew who the king of that kingdom and of that domain was. So Genesis chapter 1, the creation story, not only showing that he's a loving, powerful king and creator and lover, but it's showing that he's building a kingdom, and he calls us to be part of that kingdom-building venture, to join him in building the kingdom. This is our purpose in life. Let me put, just simply put, we are called to build God's kingdom. So when he says this uh, in verse 26, let us make man in our own image. Everyone in that culture understood that the only, well, this was what they thought, the only person who's made in the image of God that was the king. So enslaved in Egypt, the only person that they would ever hear in the Egyptian world who was the, king, the son uh, made in the image of the sun God was Pharaoh. And so all of a sudden God is saying, no, all of you, are made, man is made in my image. You are a king called to rule over as the senior vice president, so to speak, over all of creation. I'm the true king, but I'm employing you, I'm charging you, I'm sending you forth to do this kingly work of ruling over, of building my kingdom. How, how, was, how was human beings supposed to do that? How are we to build the kingdom in the, before, sin, okay, before sin entered the world? It was very simple. This is what he said, verse 28. God blessed them. Yeah, this is verse 27. Though God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, so two things that it meant to build God's kingdom before sin ever entered into the world. This is huge because a lot of times we look at these two things and we see them as bad, dirty, evil things. Okay, before sin entered the world, in a perfect world, this is what God said. Be fruitful, multiply. He's saying have sex. Man and woman, have sex. To populate and fill the earth. If you want to reproduce... I'm not trying to be clever or anything like this or bring up old statements that people talk about all the time. But in order to populate the earth, it has to be an Adam and an Eve. You understand this, right? It cannot be Adam and Steve populating the earth. Nor could it be a madam and an Eve cannot populate the earth. This makes sense, right? When he says, be fruitful, multiply, before sin enters the world, he says, in a perfect world, this is the way life is supposed to be. Be fruitful and multiply saying have children. Why? This is why. Because in the ancient cultures, a king's territory could spread many, 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 many miles. And the way that a king marked out his territory was that he would create statues of himself, images of himself, and he would set them up at strategic locations throughout his kingdom, throughout the land, so that wherever people went, when they would look at that image, they would say, ah, we know who the king is. Okay, we know who the king is because we're seeing his image all around this land. And so what God is saying from the creation account, he's saying, build my kingdom by spreading my image so that everywhere you go, people will know 
that God is king. And that's what God is saying. From the very beginning, the, this is called the cultural mandate, verse 28. The cultural mandate to be fruitful and multiply. Spread the image of God so that the kingship and the reign of, of God would spread to the ends of the earth. The second thing that he says then, he says, subdue the earth. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God said, I'll give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food, all the, uh, the, the beasts, and all these things are yours. He's saying, take care of the world that I've entrusted into your care. Rule over the earth, rule over the world, study the land, study culture, make all of these things in order that human life can flourish in this world. This is what I would do, but I'm doing it through you as my people. In other words, what God is telling us, before the fall even happens, saying, Two things, right? Two things that are necessary is you need to procreate and you need to work. Because in working, in cultivating the ground, in creating culture and taking that which is not and making something out of it, in building a culture, uh, you're building a kingdom that lives to honor God. Two things before the fall, sex in a marriage relationship, procreation, and work, these are the two things that God commanded before sin ever entered the world. Right? We look at these things as, depending on how you think, some of us might think of these things as, as, as icky or dirty or I don't like these things, but God says before sin ever enters, these are two things that I'm commanding you to do, right? to be fruitful, multiply, and then to work. Right? What we see from Genesis chapter 1, God is building a kingdom, and he's inviting us to join him in this kingdom endeavor. Right? Very simple. So that's the setup. So where do we go from there? Right? The second thing that we're going to begin, the next thing we're going to begin to see, we're going to begin to see the upset here. Okay, what is the upset? Why don't we live like this? That is very simple. This is where if you're watching a skit of creation, you're watching a skit of Genesis chapter 1, right? this is where the music changes. Okay? Where the music changes, it gets a little bit ominous, and then Adam, who's probably standing facing the back wall with God's arm around him. This is where the music changes. It gets a little bit somber, and then he kind of spins away, does a 180, and he begins like kind of snooping around. And you're like, oh, my goodness, bad things are going to happen. Okay, bad things are going to happen. This is the upset. Second thing that we see here is that we rebelled and chose to build our own kingdom. So this is where... In, in the Genesis account, and this is, I mean, it's not just Adam. We can't blame him. We can't blame Eve because this is all of us. Okay, this is the part where we realize, hey, you know what? Maybe I don't want to play second fiddle to God. Maybe being vice president wasn't good enough. Maybe I could try and be the CEO. <laughs> it's like a couple of our ninth graders are, are like student class vice president, right? And, and it's like for them all of a sudden saying, hey, you know what? I want to be president. Maybe I'll, over, maybe I'll have a coup and overthrow the current president. And they say, I, I'm sick and tired of being second in command. I'm, I'm tired of being second chair in the orchestra. What, it, what would it be like if I was first chair? This is what Adam is saying. I don't want to be this guy anymore. I wanna, maybe I could be king. Because this is what the devil says to him. It says in chapter 3, starting in, in, in verse 3. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree. 
And they say, yeah, we can eat from it. But God says, don't eat from the tree that's in the middle. Verse two, the, uh, verse four, serpent says, you will not surely die. And then this is the excuse that he gives, the reasoning he gives. Verse five, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Right, this is the temptation. Hey, Adam, aren't you tired, Adam and Eve? Aren't you tired of being second in command? You could be like God. You could be first. Right? You could be the man. You could be the woman. You could be the one that everyone looks at. You could be that person. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good. Right? Again, this is, this is very intentional language. As you read through all the creation account, it always says God spoke something. At the end of the day, God saw, and he said it was good. Right? God saw, and it was good. Right here, verse 6, chapter 3, the woman saw that it was good. And ultimately what humans doing is we are replacing God and saying, you know what? Instead of me building the kingdom of God, let me build the kingdom of myself. I will be like God. Right? Let me not live for your kingdom, God. Let me live for my own. And this is the rebellion that happens. In the middle of sin, which is what we're talking about here, is a big old I, right? I am in the middle of sin. It's not about God anymore. Right? This is about me. And so we began building the kingdom of self. Reminds me of a story that you may have heard before that Max Lucado tells. Have you heard this story before? About the relationship between the sun and the moon. You know this story maybe. But for thousands of years, everything was going great between them, right? Because the sun was a great light that shines during the day and the moon, this little ball of wax that spins around and that reflects the light of the sun and then it shines and gives light in the nighttime to people, right? This is obviously not a true story, but think about, think about it in this context. So the sun and the moon had this beautiful relationship. The moon was warm. He served a purpose. He gave light to the people on planet Earth. He was able to, to really uh, have this great relationship, this great working relationship with his boss, the sun. And one day, this meteor came floating by the, the, the moon. It must really stink being the moon. The moon's like, what are you talking about? Life is awesome. Like, I've got purpose. I've got meaning. Everything that I need, I get from the sun. And then everything that people need at night, they get from me. Life is beautiful. Life is great. And this meteor stopped for a second. He's like, but aren't you tired of being second place? Aren't you tired of being second fiddle? Like, everyone, everyone sees the sun. But when people go to sleep, they don't really see you. And so the moon began to think about it. He's like, you know what? Maybe I got the raw end of the deal. Why is it that I'm always working night shift, right? Why am I always working the night shift? It stinks. Why didn't the sun work the night shift? Why do, I, why do I have to do And why is it that dogs and wolves are always howling at me? They don't howl at the sun. And why do I have to be the one that astronauts long to step on? Why can't they ever step on the sun? And how come it's okay to get a little bit of sun, but it's not okay to moon people? And he was all frustrated. He was upset. Like, why? I got the raw end of the deal. He said, maybe, you know what, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. This, this relationship is not, working, it's not working out. It's high time people began to notice me. And so he went on this extreme makeover project, and he said, you know what, I'm sick and tired of this 
My wardrobe, it's only comes in three sizes. It's full, half, or quarter. I don't like this. My skin, it's so pale, and I got craters all over my face. This is terrible. And so he went on this, on this kick in order to improve himself to get people to notice me. And so instead of being this pale, sickly color, I'm going to be punk rock red. He busted out in red, and he's like, this is cool. Now everybody's going to notice me because everybody notices a lady in red. And he said, this is beautiful, even though I don't know what gender the moon was. We'll call him a lady, her a lady. So here's the moon, and, she, and I'm going to change my size. I don't want to be a crescent anymore. I'm going to be a triangle. I'm going to be a diamond and experiment with all these different kinds of colors and shapes and sizes. And everything was going well because comets would pass by, stars would pass by, and they say, I like your look, moon. Starting to look really cool, a lot more, lot, lot better than you used to look. And they would fly by, and they would compliment them. And stars would fly by, and they would say, "Hey, you know what? Um, we talked to somebody. You're going to be the next star of Star Wars." And then other planets would invite the moon over to watch as the world turns. And they would all kind. Life was going great until the moon looked down at the Earth and saw that. It was no longer giving light to the people below. And people were walking around in darkness. And the moon began to realize, in building my own kingdom, I've missed out on the purpose for which I was created. And so it is with us. A lot of times... We think, you know what, I'm sick and tired of living under God's rule. I'm sick and tired of living under God's kingship. I'm sick and tired of of building his kingdom. I want to build my own kingdom. And so we step on our own and and we get people to notice us. Older to realize that we're not living in the purpose for which we've been created. You see, as soon as sin entered the world, God pronounces a curse. And we'll read about this in, in chapter three later. But the two things that we were called to do, procreation, and work. God says these two things will no longer be easy. He says because of rebellion, your childbearing will have pain in it. Not only that, but you'll work and you'll sweat, and the earth will fight and struggle to produce the fruit of the ground. Two things that God said to do to build my kingdom, which were just simple before sin entered the world. All of a sudden, the fall happens, rebellion happens, and these things become difficult. And the way that we've seen these two tasks of sex and work are no longer to the glory of God. We look at sex, and it's completely distorted. How many of us say, as we look at these pornographic images, say, I'm doing this for the glory of God. My sexual life honors God. Or as we engage in in our relationships with people. God created sex as a way of building the kingdom of God, of honoring him, of showing his beauty and showing his worth. But it's become twisted so that we take these things and we live for the kingdom of self, to talk about all the great things that we've done and to, to show off about you know, whatever, you know, as, as people go to their, their fraternity, sorority parties, and they talk about their, their exploits or the way that they look at people is no longer in a way to honor God, but it's to build our own kingdoms. And the way that we work, once given to honor God, we take these things and we try and make a name for ourselves in order to climb the corporate ladder. And yeah, we, some of us do do this for the glory of God, but so many of us, it's just building our own kingdom and building our own influence and spreading the glory of our name. Right? As we study, 
to make it onto the honor roll, whose name are we seeking to exalt? Whose name are we seeking to make known? Just a simple question. Let me just ask a simple question today as we live. Right? Whose kingdom are you building? Right? Whose kingdom are you building as you live each day of your life? Whose rule are you spreading throughout the world through your life? Whose name is being exalted as you live life? Whose glory is being revealed as you live life? Whose territory are you advancing? And whose name are you making greater? As we speak, the words that we say, are they drawing attention to the greatness of me? Or to how life should be all about me? Or are our words, things we say about people, the complaints or thanksgiving, the compliments that we offer to people, are we building through that and showing people that the reign of God has come in our lives? Our words, whose kingdom are we building? Through the things that we buy each day. Are we seeking to make a name for ourselves? Are we seeking to make the name of Jesus exalted through our possessions and through the things that we buy, through the use of our money, through the car that we drive? And I, I, I know of about two or three people who talk about how um, they purposely bought cars in order that they could do more work for the kingdom of God. Right? In order that, yeah, and, and I, was, I know some, someone who said that I bought a two-seat car, two-door car because I was tired of giving people a ride, right? Someone that um, I know well, that I bought a two-seat car because I'm, I'm tired of giving people rides to church. And then later this person would repent of their ways and would trade their car in to get a, a car that's more accessible for driving people around for the sake of the kingdom of God. But our possessions, our finances, right? our job, whose kingdom are we spreading through these things? Whose reign are we showing people through the things that we do, through our, our, the, the grades that we get at school, right, through the time that we put into it, our leisure time? Because here, here's, here's why it's, it's so uh, important for us to do this. It's not just because God, he, God doesn't need it. He really doesn't need us to do this. His glory will be his at the end of the day, whether we like it or not. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. But here's a problem. When we live for our own kingdom, we think we are our king, but really we become enslaved. Enslaved to try and find meaning by building the kingdom of ourselves, making our name greater. How many people you know who are drop-dead famous, who are discontent, not content, feel like they need more and more and more and more? We think we're kings as we build our own kingdom, but really we're enslaved. You see this so deeply in people who are enslaved to their work because they're trying to build a name for themselves. People who are so enslaved to their sexuality because they're trying to build a name for themselves, because they're trying to find meaning in these two things. If I can just get this person to like me, if I can get this person to love me, if I can get this person to marry me, if I can get this person to notice me, then I'll be someone, I'll feel, like, I'll feel great about myself. But these things never work out. They may work out in terms of you getting married and you, getting, you know, ha- being happy, but to find deep and lasting meaning in life. It's never going to work out that way because that's not the way we're made. We were not made to find our meaning by building the kingdom of ourselves and making a name for ourselves in that way. Anytime we don't live for the purpose which we've been created, there will be frustration. You ever see a fish try and run 
or you see a cheetah try to fly or an eagle try and swim, right? they'll be frustrated because that's not what they were made to do. That's not the purpose for which they were created. That's why to build the kingdom of God, to spread the fame of his name. That's why all of us have innate in us a desire to make a difference. But if we don't see it as I was made to make a difference for the eternal kingdom, not for my own kingdom, it's going to constantly lead to frustration. So many people in our world are frustrated because we don't know the purpose for which we are made. Because we're living, trying to build our own kingdom, thinking if I can make a name for myself bigger and bigger, even though we do philanthropic deeds, we do great things for people, we're nice to others, we're, 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 we're caring and we're giving, we're generous, but we're still doing that in some way to make ourselves feel better about ourselves and build our own kingdoms, it will always lead to frustration and futility and failure. Because you see, freedom is not about doing whatever I want to do. It's also about not doing the things that we don't want to do. And that's what so many people fail to realize. You know what? God says that I should only have sex if I'm married. I'm going to be free. And so we live in freedom when we have sex with whoever we want to have sex with. What we don't realize is that we cannot then not do the things that we don't want to do. Because freedom goes both ways. To do what we know we ought to do, but also to not do what we know we ought not to do. And so we come. And then I I get messages like this constantly. You know what? I, I can't stop doing this. I can't stop with this sin. I can't stop with this or that. Because in our rebellion, in our desire to make ourselves our own king, instead of becoming kings, we become slaves to our own kingdom, to the pursuit of meaning, to the futile search for life apart from God as king. A pretty bad story. But you see, the story doesn't end in Genesis. It continues on. And so the last thing, Jesus came to bring us back into the kingdom. Some of Jesus' most famous teachings revolve around this idea of the kingdom. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. He said the kingdom of God should be our first priority. As we think about, okay, you know what? I've got, this, I've got this money. What should I do? Our immediate thought should be, how can I seek first the kingdom of God? Is there a way that I could spread the glory and the greatness of the name of God through this? And yeah, it doesn't mean that we should be, you know, give all of our money away. God's saying, yeah, I've given you this stuff. Um, you will be blessed by it. You'll use it to take care of your needs. But our first thought shouldn't be, if I've got all this like extra money, what should I do? What should I buy for myself? And maybe there are certain times for that, but by and large, the default, if, if, if the priority of our life is the kingdom of God, that should affect everything that we do. We should constantly be asking, what does this mean for me in the kingdom? What does this mean? How can I best use these things, these gifts, these talents for the glory of God and for his kingdom? Jesus would also say in the most famous prayer that he taught us to pray, he said, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Right? How is a kingdom in heaven? The glory of the king radiates in every sphere, in every direction, in every way in heaven. And he's saying, pray that this would be true on earth in your life. So that everywhere I go, that the glory of God, the name of God, the fame of God, the beauty of God, the greatness of God would radiate in every direction of our lives. 
Right? This is what we were called to live in. And Jesus tells us then how we enter into this kingdom. And the first words that come out of his mouth is recorded in Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, this is what Jesus says. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Right? This is what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is here. Right? You've longed to get into this kingdom. The question that screams throughout the Old Testament is, is there a king who is able to free us from the bondage of slavery? Is there a king so powerful that he could release us from all of these things? And in the time that Moses was writing, they didn't have a king. And so when their first king, Saul, rose up, they said, maybe he's the one. Because in all human understanding he was the man he was a foot taller than everybody else he was a military genius he was good looking and everyone said this is our king who's going to lead us out of the slavery but little did they realize that the slavery was internal and not external and so every king that they put their hope in would rise and he would fall and then with david they called him a man after god's own heart he could be the one that would lead us to that place because he had everything that saul had but to a greater degree. And then when he committed adultery, they realized that we need another king. And then from that point on, the kings would rise and fall. And the message that they're longing for, the question they're longing to get answered is, can someone, is there someone strong enough to release us from this bondage? And so when Jesus comes saying the kingdom of God is near, it's at hand. Repent and believe the good news that you don't have to live as slaves to your sensuality. You don't have to live as slaves to your work anymore. You don't have to live as slaves to your own kingdom anymore. You don't have to live as slaves to to all of that stuff. You can be set free if you repent and believe the good news. And you lay down your arms of rebellion. And you realize that you can't do this. You can't find meaning apart from Jesus. You see, this idea of building your own kingdom was something that was tempting to Jesus also. When he was living at the age of 30, Satan came to him and said, you know what, all these kingdoms that you see, these can be yours in an instant. Don't die, don't go to the cross. Just bow down and worship me for a second, and I'll give you all of these things. But Jesus rejected it. Why? Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he, even though he was God, did not consider him grasping equality with God as being something that he wanted to do, but willingly he made himself nothing. Willingly, he who was a king over all made himself a slave in order that we who were enslaved could be set free to live in this glorious kingdom. You see, in the garden, Adam and Eve said to God, not your will, but mine be done. And then years later, in another garden, Jesus said the opposite. He said to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. And at the cross, Jesus Christ was enslaved, became a slave to the sin and to the selfishness and the self-centeredness that bound all of us. And he became enslaved in order that we might be set free to live for the kingdom of God as we were meant to live. And so Jesus stands and he says, this is the gospel of Christ. Uh, You're living for your own kingdom. He says, lay down your arms of rebellion. 
and live for the kingdom of God. This is what you were meant to live for. 200 years ago, two brothers, John and David Livingston, living out in Scotland. Both of them wanted to build a kingdom. Both of them wanted to make a name great. Both of them wanted to make a difference in their lives. John Livingston wanted to do that for the kingdom of himself. Wanted to become rich, wanted to become famous. He became rich, scandalously rich, had everything that he wanted, and he died. David Livingston said, God, I want to make your name great. I want to build a kingdom, but not the kingdom of myself, but the kingdom of God. And so the famous story goes that when the offering plate went around, when he was a little boy, he didn't have money to put in, so he put it on the ground and he stood it and he said, I place no value in any possession, anything that I have, unless it be for the kingdom of God. Take my life and use it for your glory to build the kingdom of God. The age of 17, he was brilliant. He had um, been offered this amazing job, took this job, could have paid for medical school, paid for everything that he ever needed, but he, he rejected that job, left that job, and he went into Africa. His mission in life was, I want to build the kingdom of God amongst the, what he called the black people who don't know anything about this white man, Jesus. Then I want to go to Africa. And as the gospel began to grip his life, he said, can I not do for the gospel, for the sake of the king, what the slave trade has done for the slave trader, to go to these places? And through his life, he led to the abolition of slavery in many ways in Africa. As he went through life, he got married. He saw his wife die on the mission field. He saw his children die on the mission field. He had an arm ripped out by a lion in Africa. He had an eye poked out by the branch of a tree. He had ulcers that racked his body in 29,000 miles throughout Africa, through the jungles, throughout the, um, those areas he walked. And everywhere he walked, he walked with this chronic limp because he'd been battered by the effects of, of, of nature, by the effects of sickness. He saw his closest friends in the mission field leave him. He saw his uh, closest supporters in Scotland desert him as well, left all alone. And yet there was a time when the king of England invited him to come to be knighted, to become a sir, Sir David Livingston, but he refused it, saying, what I'm doing here is an honor far greater than any honor you could bestow upon me. Later, he would get an honorary degree from Oxford University. His picture still hangs at Oxford. It says, here's a man who lived as Jesus Christ lived. When he got this, when he accepted uh, that degree, he gave this speech. And he said, so many people talk about the sacrifice that I've made. That how can this be called a sacrifice when I've been enlisted into the service of the king to do the very thing for which I've been called to do in life. He says, away with such a word, at least with that meaning. It is no sacrifice. He says, instead, I consider it a pure joy and privilege to offer my life for my king. And he would later die in Africa. And when he died, Florence Nightingale, brilliant, beautiful, she said of him, that the world has lost the greatest man in our generation. Two lives, David Livingston. I googled his name yesterday, millions of hits. John Livingston. Both of them wanted to build a kingdom. Both of them wanted to make a difference in this world. Who really made a difference? I, I remember looking up Encyclopedia Britannica. Encyclopedias were what the Internet was to older generations a long time ago. Looked up John Livingston, and it said four words. It said, Brother of David Livingston. 
for who really made a difference in their world. And who really found the purpose for which they were created. We live for the kingdom of God. But this is where difference is made because people are eternal. You and I are eternal. And God's calling us to invest in the things that are eternal. To find the reason we were created is not to build our own kingdoms and to make the name of, of you or me famous, but to make the name of God famous. Wherever we go to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of his name. This is kingdom building stuff. You remember we talked about the sun and the moon. So the moon looked down and he saw all these people living in darkness. And he began to realize the futility of it all. Began to realize the bankruptcy of living for his own kingdom. Making his own name great. Making himself famous. Getting other people to look at him. And he said, this isn't the way life should be. But I just wish that I could go back to being the way that I was before. And living in right relationship with the son. And as soon as he said that, the coldness began to dissipate. And that familiar warmth came back to him. And he turned around. And he saw the sun standing right there with him. That the sun had never left. It was there all along. The sun looked down and said, hey, we've got work to do. We've got work to do. There's people to be saved. You want to come back and join me in this? The moon said, let's do it. Let's do it. And to this day, the sun and moon have had this glorious relationship where the sun shines at day. And the moon just does its part, reflecting the light of the sun so that people could see this is our lives. This is our lives. We weren't meant to get people to look at us and to notice us. We're meant to get people to see Jesus. And we say, yeah, I reflect the light of the sun. We've got work to do. Let's go. Let's do it for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. And I want to ask this one question again. I'm going to follow up with another question. First question is, whose kingdom are you building in your life? Whose name are you living to make known? And here's a second question that I want to bring. How's that working out for you? As you live for the kingdom of self, how's that working out? Are you content? Are you happy? Maybe... You say, maybe you are. Maybe you are. But I'm 100% proof positive that a time is coming when that won't satisfy. And it won't be good enough. And you'll realize that you are meant for more. Because the countless testimonies of human life and human history, many people that I've talked to and seen who's had it all they realize that this isn't enough as you live for the kingdom of yourself as I live for the kingdom of myself let's ask ourselves how is that working is that bringing us everything that we thought it would bring us is it bringing us everything that we need and we say well you know what I'm not there yet give me three more years to get to the top of the ladder I'll tell you the ladder keeps on going higher and higher it's always going to be an elusive search a chasing after the wind like a little kid trying to catch bubbles only to realize that they keep on popping and bursting. It's never going to be because we were not meant to live for that. We were made for so much more. 
We are meant for so much more, guys. Not to live for the kingdom of ourselves that dies when we die, but to live for the kingdom of God that will stretch on into eternity. This is what we're made for. Today, Jesus is saying, lay down your arms of rebellion. Stop building the kingdom of yourself. Stop being the king over your own life. You weren't meant to live that way. You're not strong enough, wise enough, loving enough, caring enough for yourself to be able to do that. He says, but I am. And I can do that for you. Let's take a couple moments to, to pray. And I, again, in a couple minutes, I'm going to give an invitation for anyone who feels like, yeah, this is an invitation I want to accept to give my life to Jesus so that he could be the king of my life. Let's just pray right now. Let's just examine our hearts and see where we are. Maybe uh, some of us will want to put our trust in King Jesus. Maybe others of us who've already done that but have since begun to build the kingdom of our own lives. Today, God is calling you to rededicate yourself to the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Just take a minute right now just to pray. Ask the Lord God. God, I come back to you. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord God. Let's pray together for a few more moments. continue to pray if you're here today and you feel like I've been living for the kingdom of myself and I have never given my life to the kingdom of Jesus. I've never laid down my arms of rebellion and said, Jesus, come into my life and be the new king and to be the savior of my life. Today, God wants to do that. Jesus wants to come in. Feel like God's been speaking to your heart. If you feel like he's talking to you right now, God is wanting to answer the prayer that we prayed at the beginning of our service. So if that's you with everyone's eyes closed and praying or reflecting, if you feel like I need Jesus in my life to be my king, to give me purpose, to give me hope in life, just where you are, I just ask that you raise your hand from where you are. Just so I can see you. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Have uh, three folks who it's from, yeah, from the beginning. Raise their hand. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else feels feels like I yeah I want to give my life to Jesus. Okay, thank you. To the left, I see you. As we um. We just continue in our service. I want to invite you, for all of us in here, there's about four people that I saw who have raised their hands now, and I'm going to ask later that you guys um, at least leave your email address with me so that we can talk about how we can continue to grow, we can talk after service. But for the sake of all of us in here, let's just repeat this prayer after me that acknowledges the things that we've talked about and then makes it personal in our lives, okay? So if we could just repeat, whether out loud or in your heart, Dear Jesus, thank you for being a king who gives me life 
give me purpose. I was made for you, but I rebelled and I lived for myself. I've become enslaved to people's opinions, to my own ambitions, and to my frustrations. I surrender these things to you. I confess my sins to you. Forgive me for my sins. Jesus, you died for me to take my place so I could be set free and I could be made clean. Come into my life to be my forgiver and my new king. Help me to know joy and meaning as I live for you. Help me now to be the person you want me to be. I love you because you love me first. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And as we pray, Father, for um, these four folks who have prayed this prayer to give their lives to you, God, we pray that you would breathe on them and that you would water these seeds and you would cause them to grow. Pray that you would help them to know the freedom that comes from leaving their old life behind in order to find it in you. Thank you that you are so much better than anyone that we know, that you're stronger than anyone that we know. You're wiser and more caring, and you know each of us individually. You know us better than our spouse, our mothers, our parents, our children. You know us better than anyone else, and you love us the same. Thank you so much for that. We pray for these four as well as for all of us in here that you would help us now to begin to live a life of freedom and joy that comes from living for your purpose in our lives for living for the purpose for which we've been created. We thank you so much. We need you. We love you. We put our trust in you. All these things we pray in Jesus' name.